Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Well, all right. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. And as for me and my Black Free Thinkers, we shall read books. And to make sure we clarify it, we're Black Free Thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. So I want to make sure that's clear. You know, we are not on the Blexit train. As a matter of fact, that Blexit train should be paused because they got a nice cease and desist. So you may want to keep up with what's happening there. So basically they usurped another group's usage and ownership of Blexit. And so now they have some legal entanglements that they have to deal with. So that is that right there. That's That's been interesting to watch. And so, yay. So it's been a lot happening. I've been away. I should have did a show yesterday. It would have made two weeks, you know. So I've been doing them every other week rather consistently. And I want to get it back up to every week. We're going to work on that. But I actually was a little sick. And, you know, I've really been sick for about three weeks now, but I was hiding it. And I got straight cold busted last week. It was the week before that Monday. So my mom called me early. It wasn't too early. It was about 1030, but called me in the morning. And usually when someone calls me, whether I'm, you know, asleep or up or whatever, you know, you clear your voice. And so you want to answer the phone. And I picked up the phone and I was sounding like Peter from the Brady Bunch, right, when his, when his voice changed. And my mom was like, are you okay? And so I'm trying to clear my voice. And I'm like, I'm fine. But when I cleared my voice that second time, it was gone. I had no voice at all. And um, then I had to confess that I had been not feeling well, seriously painful sore throats. You know, throats had swollen up a couple of times and, you know, doing the hot salt water gargles and all of that. And it was just crazy. But I'm laughing because a couple of friends called me that day and they were like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I'm like, my throat. So it took a few days for it to clear up. You know, that Tuesday cleared up a little bit and Wednesday was still a little scratchy, but it had cleared up. And so it was just interesting. Um, My friend of mine was like, how did you not know that you lost your voice? And I said, well, I don't talk to myself out loud. How am I supposed to know that I lost my voice? So it was just funny, but I'm um, feeling better now, much better somewhat, but still in a major flare. So that's what's been going on these past few weeks. I'll be up for a couple of hours, two, three hours, and then I have to go and lay down. And so when I get like that, my body does not give me a choice. It forces me to lay down. So for those that are new and don't know, I have lupus. And so, you know, we have really generally good times, 
But then when the bad times come, you know, it kind of hits me hard. But it is okay. You know, we're doing good. So, yeah, so it's been a lot going on. We all went out for these midterm elections and got out there and voted and all of these different things that have been going on. And there's so much that I want to talk about today. So let me just go on ahead and read off the show notes that I have written down here for you. So miming, tumbling, and shucking. White people requirements to feel comfortable around black folks. There is so much to unpack. I'm not sure where to begin. I'm probably going to be all over the page. Just try to keep up. This is in no particular order. I may not even get to it all. So bullet point one. I intended to have a positive, optimistic attitude, and then life happened. White folks who feel like they have ownership over blacks. Michelle from Destiny's Child. Run, Michelle. Run, girl. Um, White women being white women. Vote shaming. White White women voting for their best interests. And in parentheses right here, I have some of us got that shit twisted. The next one would be white women turning themselves black and exotic, uh, irresponsible media, shut up Bernie, shut up Kim, Kim being me, right, and more. So I know we're going to be all over the page, so we're just going to go on ahead and we're going to mix it up today. You know, what I do like about my show for the most part is pretty structured, but today... It's like a lot of this stuff is just really tied together, and some of it is over overlapping, and some of it is just random bullshit, and I'm like, what the hell is going on over here? So it's a lot happening, but, you know, I said I wanted to be positive, positive, and um, <laughs> I already told you about how my mama caught me right, you know, trying not to let her know that I wasn't feeling good, but just got straight busted. I couldn't even play that one off because it was gone. No voice. But one good positive thing that did happen over the past couple of weeks, um, Mitch McConnell is giving up on gutting Obamacare. But the thing is, is that they've already basically gutted it to 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 a skeletal type of, of you know health care package. You know, but someone like myself having pre existing conditions, someone like me, I have a number of issues. Um my immune system is just absolutely compromised. You know, um on one hand it's overactive, on the other hand it's underactive. You know, so with the lupus your immune system is overacting. So what happens is it's trying to protect itself. And it's trying so hard to protect itself that it starts attacking healthy, vital organs. You know, so for a while, my doctors and I have been paying close attention to my kidneys and my lungs. But while we were paying attention to my kidneys and my lungs, it attacked my heart. So for those that don't know the story, you know, I had heart surgery October 2015, and, you know, it's a lot that's behind that, but the year before, in 2014, I was at the emergency room, and I was telling the doctors, I said, I think I'm having a heart attack, and they were like, no, and they blew me off. And so they tried to say that it was cortical chondritis, which basically means that my ribs my rib case wasn't flying. 
Now, with the lupus, and because my numbers were so off the chart, my ribs were inflamed, but everything on the inside pretty much is inflamed. You know, it's like we've gotten a lot of it out of, you know, under control, but my doctor wants to wants to put me on some other medication, and I'm afraid to switch. And also, um, you know, I have some people inquiring about a stem cell set study. And because I know what my schedule is going to look like next year, you know, um, I'm going to be going out. We're going to be filming the documentary next year. So I really don't want to do anything that could possibly land me in a hospital for weeks or months, um, you know, zap all of my little energy out of me. But I do have those days, which is why sometimes I have to apologize profusely to people because, you know, they get upset and they think that I'm skipping out on them or just don't want to hang out with them or don't want to do things. That's not it. My intention is to be there. But sometimes my body takes over and I really don't have a choice. You know, one day this week I was hungry. I didn't feel like cooking. So I got in the car and was zooming over to get something to eat because, you know, you only have so many minutes. And my new car, you know, it has the button back warmer. And that thing was feeling good. I wanted to lay down. I was like, oh, no. So I had to get my food and rush home and turn the seat warmers off. But, um, yeah, man, um, you know, I can't do anything that's really going to throw everything off because I don't know. With the stem cells, you can get placebo and still be treated, but if the other medicine is there, I just don't know how it's going to interact with what I'm dealing with. So, you know, I take 17 different medications a day, and that's a lot of medication, and I've kind of gotten certain things down to a science. So when certain things happen to me, I know what I need to do. So even when, you know, um, I'm at the cancer center with my mom and she's getting her chemo treatments, you know, sometimes I'll talk to the nurse and they'll be like, oh, well, you're going to need an antibiotic for that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I have a bunch of those. And I'll tell them what. And I said, yeah, two of these for three days should take care of that. And they were like, exactly. I said, yeah, me and my doctor have an understanding. And that's what I love about the doctors that I have now. We get along great. They understand me. And they were the ones that diagnosed it, but after I had to do backflips. So anyway, those were pre-existing conditions, you know, not saying that they won't screw us in the future. But right now, I think we're kind of safe. So you get out there, open enrollment is happening right now, healthcare.gov. And it's absolutely ridiculous the amount of money that we have to pay for these policies. You know, my policy, my health. And my dental policy, just those two things alone, over 750 bucks a month, that is crazy. That's crazy. And I know someone's like, well, why do you get the Cadillac plan? Because I never know what's going to happen. You know, it's like every other year, it's like I'm having an operation of some sort. And not just a regular operation, major operations. And when I look at those bills for hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, the best thing I could have I could do is, you know, pay for pay for my health care. You know, it's worth it and it's just crazy. So anyway, 
we're going to move on from that. But one of the positive things that I wanted to say is even though we see what's happening with, you know, a lot of these different elections with the voter suppression, and I'm going to get to that a little bit later, what I want you guys to take a look at, just look at the big picture. You are seeing a lot of black people being elected to office. Something is happening. The tides are changing. And just pay attention to, you know, how 45 was rushed into office and everything that they're doing to suppress and further oppress black and brown people, but particularly black people. And we're starting to see this change. And I think this, you know, I'm trying to find a little platinum lining in this cloud, right? And so we're starting to see that change. Things are changing. And, you know, I think it's amazing. So I'm sitting back and I'm watching. I would encourage you to sit back and watch and, you know, make your voice heard. Um, You know, there are people that vote. There are people that don't vote. I'm cool with that, whatever, you know, because, again, when 45 was elected, I was seriously saying that I was not going to vote for any federal positions anymore. You know, local, yes, but for the federal ones, not so much. But I came to my senses, especially after the Muslim ban and Charlottesville. Charlottesville really took me up and over. But, yeah, things are changing. Things are changing, and they're fighting it with everything in their power. So, you know, let's try to find something positive in all of this. And, yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful. I'll tell you, after the results started coming in Tuesday when I finally made it back to the house because I had to run, but basically I had the television on. I put my headset on, and I was listening to my music, and I would look at the television for the numbers. All I was interested in were the numbers. I didn't want to hear the talking heads. I didn't want to hear their commentary. The American media is extremely irresponsible with some of the things that they say and some of the things that they report, but particularly the things that they neglect to report that's happening especially with this administration, and especially when, when, it, it, when this administration is eroding, totally eroding our social safety net and the people that are being harmed by this. You know, you have people now that are being kicked off of Medicaid, Medicare, people who are being kicked out of LINK programs, being sent boxes of bullshit, I mean, any other time, you know, you would you would have these people having a shit fit and we have more than one or two boxes of Juicy Juice in our shopping cart. But that's what they're sending people in boxes, Juicy Juice, Top Ramen, candy bars, you know, sports. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? So, you know, just pay attention to all of that. So anyway, before I go off, you know, because I'm going to get back to all of that. Um, you know, there were a couple of things that I posted, but it was one particular article, you know, about being child-free. And, you know, there are some stigmas behind being child-free for those that have been around for a while. Um, you know, I don't have any children, but I, I kind of adopt other people's children. And, you know, I, I enjoy kids. I really do. But I love more when they have a home to go to. And so, you know, I'm child-free and pretty happy about it. You know, every once in a while, 
it'll set in and it'll be like, well, maybe I should have had one, right? But I, you know, mm-mm. so anyway, I've over the years, you know, people will make these little ignorant comments. And I don't necessarily think they're trying to be malicious per se, but I'll, I'll hear someone say, no, you needed one of these. You needed this. You needed some responsibility. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, uh-huh. And so, you know, all kinds of snarky things could come out of my mouth. But generally, I just kind of let it go and walk away. But for those that have a problem with people like me who are child-free and happy, you do know you could have opted out of having children, right? And that's all I'm going to say about that. So, oh, yeah, so I was saying earlier, I was talking about the documentary. Um, For those that want to make a contribution towards the documentary, you can do that. PayPal.me slash BlackFreeThinkers, all one word and the S at the end, PayPal.me slash BlackFreeThinkers, or you can do the cash me, dollar sign, BlackFreeThinkers, with an S, right? Um, if, if you want to make a contribution, you know, again, my things are self-financed, and, you know, what's interesting is there are reasons why I do not reach out to these organizations asking for money. And even when they'll ask me to come and give a talk or what have you, I turn the money down. I take the money, but I turn the money down. What I do is I have them make the checks out because usually I'll have it split between two or three different organizations, and they'll make the checks out to those particular organizations. So that way I know someone that's out here doing the work will receive the money. So I give all that money away. You know, and then when people do send a donation every once in a while, I'll take what they sent me, add to it, and then spend it on, you know, something else like with the Ronnie Man. You know, the Ronnie Man Christmas giveaway. This is the fourth annual one. So uh, those that want to give a donation to that, their cash me is dollar sign Ronnie Man one. So dollar sign R O N N I E M A N one. So Ronnie Man one. And with that particular um, organization, with that particular campaign, they buy Christmas presents and they go to schools in, you know, um, disadvantaged neighborhoods and they make sure that all of those children have, you know, a Christmas present. And so in, in Dorothy Holmes, who's in charge of that, does that in memory of her child, Ronald Johnson, who was killed by the Chicago Police Department. So I need to put more information. She posted something on my wall yesterday. They have a GoFundMe. And because I've been so tired, I haven't been able to, you know, fulfill some of the things that I wanted to do, but I'm just tired, tired. And when my body shuts down, it shuts down, you know. Um, So I got to do better. I got to do better. So anyway, like I said, you know, I don't contact these organizations for money or for help because, that's another reason why I don't necessarily take the money because unfortunately with some of these organizations and certain people, 
they feel as though once they give you money that they have a certain amount of control over you or a certain amount of influence. And with me, that is not the case. However, you have some people out here that will gaslight these organizations and have have these people feeling guilty, and then they'll turn around and ask them for money and then have the organization give them money to finance their pet projects. That is how that works sometimes. And it's really interesting because you can see the pattern. But I just need for you guys to pay attention to that, you know, because, uh, mm-mm-mm. so anyway, going back, you know, you have some white people out here, and they have this perceived self-idealized uh, ownership of all black people, you know, and that's why, you know, I have to tell folks, you do not own me. You do not own what I'm doing. You do not control my time. You do not bridle me, none of this. And, and and because there are a few white people out here whose work I may admire, I'm very careful about openly admitting that because some of them lose their fucking minds. And I'm at the point now whereas it's like, you know, am I even willing to give them a compliment? Because just because I like your work, that does not mean you can just say, you know, one or two things and silence me and bridle what I'm going to say, especially when you have not taken time to to really research and listen to and understand what I'm saying. You're just taking offense to it because you can. And that's where that white fragility comes in. And that's why it becomes a very, very fine line to walk. And this is one of the reasons why I've made comments about not necessarily wanting to go out and give talks to white groups, especially older white groups. Because you know exactly what's happening out here. You know what you're doing to us. And, you know, some of some of you all are out there saying, but no, that's those conservatives. That's those Republicans. Look, the liberals, progressive, moderate, liberal whites are just as culpable as these conservatives and these Republicans. And what I don't understand is why you all think that you are living above reproach and get upset and angry when we call you out for the bullshit that you're saying and you're doing. You all were the ones to help craft the legislation and craft these laws and policies that continue to oppress us. And then you want to throw your hands up and act like you don't know anything about it. Or say that, you know, that's wrong, that's wrong. But you're not willing to give up any of your right privilege or any of your comfort to make these changes. So, you know, it's just, it's really interesting. So sometimes when that happens to me, I generally will ignore, ignore the person and I'll allow someone else to deal with it. Right, because it's like I know if I say something, it's going to result in some white tears or more white tears. And, you know, just had this happen to me again. This is the second time this person has done this to me. And I ignored them both times. The first time, everybody else ignored it. The second time, there were a couple of people who addressed it. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
you know, but yeah, I think I'm going to have to pull back and dial back on a whole bunch of shit because, um, mm, 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 mm. you know, and it's, it's that particular fragility that's, you know, is, is scary. It's extremely scary. And especially if you are receiving these types of responses, if it's someone that you're married to or that you're dating or even a good friend or an associate or acquaintance, whatever the hell you want to call yourself, all right? And so this is one of the reasons why, you know, I saw this article today, and this is what set me off for the day, was Michelle from Destiny's Child. So there was an article going around talking about her fiancé, soon-to-be husband, and how when she made comments about race, how he retaliated by basically um, – gaslighting her, so making a comment about her mental health status, right? So basically he asked her, have have you taken your meds today or did you take your meds today? And my whole thing is, girl, you better run. And the only reason why we know this is they have some type of reality show, and I guess they were on one of those TV shows. I think it's the one that has Cheryl Underwood. No, not Cheryl Underwood. One of them TV shows, right, you know, that I don't watch. And basically, you know, they were talking about their marriage or their soon or their impending marriage, right? And when I saw that, when I read it, because I read the entire article, and I'm like, he's gaslighting you, that's abusive. You have all of these different issues happening. And I'm like, you need to drop him. You know, and I think the name of their reality show is Chad Loves Michelle or something to to that effect. So he's on your reality show. He's making a lot of money. Now, this is a white guy. This is a 100% through and through white guy. You know, because some people were like, isn't he mixed with something? No, he's white. You know, on my wall, we were talking about it, and I said he's raisins in a potato salad type of white. You know, what's interesting is on a couple of other threads that I read, they were like, yeah, he's Christmas lights on a trailer in the middle of July white. So, you know, we're sitting back and we're tripping and we're laughing about that. But this really is no laughing matter because Michelle has been battling with depression for years. You know, even at the beginning when she got with Destiny's Child, you know, there were people that would, you know, say all of these mean and evil things about her. And especially some of the church folks. And, you know, over time, that wears a person down, you know, especially if it's a person that has serious self-esteem issues, right? You know, you have some people that can blow it off and be like, whatever, but this has gotten under her skin. And I can see why. I mean, she's high profile, and she's getting it from all directions, right? And with some of the people that are saying these things, they're jealous, they're envious of her. I was, you know, I was talking to Raina and talking about this situation, and I was like, you know, I said, well, hell, I can't be mad at her. I'm like, you know, she she, she was the one accepted to Destiny's Child, not me. And Raina started laughing, and she was like, Kim, did you even audition? And I said, no. And she was like, well, you know, and I was like, well, that's not the point. And so we <laughs> were sitting there laughing, but, you know, I wish Michelle the absolute very best. But, girl, if he's doing all of this before you get married, 
You need to think about that shit. And he's getting paid on Uriel. Oh, hell no. No. He got to go. That's just me. I don't live with them. Don't none of this have any impact on my world or in my life, but couldn't be me. And, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of the abuse that I've seen a lot of black women and girls, you know, receiving, you know, we get it. They come at us from every angle there is, you know, and it's interesting because with Chad, Michelle's soon-to-be husband, I guess he calls himself like this guru to black athletes and celebrities. I don't know who the hell he counseling. But, you know, you know, some of the dialogue and the subtle butt that I've been seeing is basically because he feels that he has this close proximity, this special relationship with the black community. He took offense to what she said because of the fact that he feels as though she was challenging, you know, his, his street cred, I guess, you know, his, his blackness or his perceived blackness or his perceived acceptance into the black community because of whatever type of relationship he has with these other black folks. And and this is what happens, and that's what makes this type of situation extremely dangerous because I know several black people there that are in interracial relationships, marriages, what have you, and sometimes the white people get just a little bit too damn comfortable and familiar. And then you have situations like this that arise from it. And we have to be very extremely careful navigating that type of situation because he feels as though his proximity is being threatened. He feels as though, like I said, someone's trying to come and snatch up his little perceived black card, if you will. And that just opens up a whole different can of worms there. And there's so much to that that I could attack and come at, but it's, it's, it's very serious. It happens um, all the time, you know, just like some of the conversations that you may have had or you may have seen or heard about, whereas you'll have somebody white and they'll use the N-word and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I said around my black friends and they're okay, or I have a black child or I'm married to a black person or dating a black person. It's okay if I said, no, the hell it ain't. When I was in the Army, the army. There was this one white chick that pulled that shit. We got her ass written up on Article 15 so fast that she didn't say the N-word around us again, right? And so, um, you know, it's, it's a trip. And black women and girls have to deal, have to take a lot of shit. You know, not only are we taking a lot of shit from, you know, white people, we have to take a lot of shit from black men. And unfortunately, we have to take a lot of shit from other black women and girls. And it's really unfortunate. And it's like, where do you go? What do you say? So this is one of the reasons why you see black women rally around other black women, why you see us, you know, taking up for other black women. And it's it's a trip, y'all. It really is. It really is. And there's so much to unpack there. But we only have so many minutes. 
in so much time. But, you know, saying that, I'm going to segue into two different things um, here. One is Michelle Obama wrote a book, and she was talking about Donald Trump and how she'll always resent him and never forgive him for the birther accusations and the danger that he put her and her family in by continuing to perpetuate that lie, right? And so it's interesting because you have some black conservative women, particularly Sophia Nelson, who's a black Republican woman, and she was saying, oh, you better not say anything to, to Michelle Obama. And, of course, 45 responded. But instead of responding to Michelle, he lashed out at Barack Obama. Now, for me, this is interesting because he has no problem expressing his hatred for black women and girls. He will call you a dog. He will call you a horse. He will call you those, in so many words, bitch, low IQ, all of that shit. You know, I think he hates women in general, but he has a particular passion of hatred for, for black women. And I'm not sure if you all are, have seen this, but um, for black women reporters, he has been attacking them left and right. You know, it was Abby, Yamish, and April Ryan, you know, as of late. And we already know how he felt about Maxine Waters and um, Frederica. I forget Miss Frederica's last name, but I met her last, well, not last year, it was this year, earlier this year at Power Rising. You know, Stacey Abrams was there too, but I, I got sick that morning. Jen met her, but I saw Stacey later on. I waved at her, didn't get a chance to go over and speak or anything. But, um, child. You know, 45, and his mistreatment, outright hate, and disregard for black women and girls, that is not a laughing matter. And so it's interesting because I posted this picture, and it was 45, you know, going to the door and, you know, um, looking out of a peephole, and it was Maxine Waters on the other side, (laughs) and I titled that, or I captioned it, Peekaboo. And so, you know, had a few people on my wall, you know, making comments, and they were saying that, you know, this is Donald Trump's black mare. Not his nightmare, but his black mare. And so I just thought that was funny. And it's here because he is trapped. And you can tell by his reaction. Just pay attention to his reaction, what he's saying, how he's acting. He's panicking. And one of the things that, you know, I want you all to pay attention to because it flew over the heads of a couple of people that I've talked to. And I said, have you noticed that now all of a sudden he's very conciliatory, very complimentary to Nancy Pelosi? And so for those that may have missed this, you know, these different news stories, apparently him and Nancy have had some telephone conversations. They're just real good Judys now, right? And and Nancy assured him that there would be no talk of impeachment. Now, ain't that some white privilege for your ass? What they say, you got white folks, white men, white men and boys going and shooting up schools and movie theaters, and people don't get mad at the, at the black, I mean, ooh, people don't get mad at the white man or the white boy, they get mad at the gun. 
Now, that's some privilege for your ass, right? And so with this situation here, Nancy Pelosi is basically assuring him that there will be no talks of impeachment. So basically, Nancy is about to cover him. And so now he's, he's <laughs> now he's 45, is out here saying that he wants Nancy to remain the Speaker of the House because he thinks that she has his back. Again, this is a white woman. And white women have shown us who they were from the very beginning. I had um, posted some information. Um, here we go. A video from um, uh, I want to make sure I say her name right because um, okay, her name is Savalia Savalia Glimp. And she has written a couple of books. I just ordered this one, but um, Out of the House Bondage, right? Or Outhouse Bondage. And, you know, basically it talks about the role of white women in white supremacy. And it goes all the way back to when the slave master's wife, how she handled the house and how she dealt with the slaves, even all the way down to whipping manic. Right, and the correlation in the history behind that, and how we're still seeing remnants of that. But again, you know, you have that image of that white woman with the white tears and the need for protection, when in many cases they are actually more dangerous than the white men. And so, some of the commentary behind what happened with these midterms is we we basically are in a position whereas white women are the deciding vote for a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad politicians, a lot of bad policies. And, you know, I'm simplifying it, and this is something that's not very simple. It's extremely complicated. But um, I want to encourage you guys to go out and do some reading, and, and especially – go back and take a look at the role of white women in America, in American society. You know, one of the things that we talked about in particular was a lot of these white women posting their I voted stickers on Susan B. Anthony's um, website, not website, on her gravesite. And so I think I posted it, and it was talking about these white women and their little women's march and their pussy hats. And, and basically the consensus was, you know, <laughs> We're not really giving a damn about that because, see, with their performative activism, all they're there for are the photo ops to say that they were there while putting stickers on this woman's grave but not getting out here and actually doing the work to deal with these particular issues. But, see, again, what I have here, I said some of us got that shit twisted. They never promised us that they were going to vote our way. What they did was they asked us to join forces with them to help move this forward and then said that it will be moving everybody forward. But at the end of the day, the only thing that that they're interested in is moving their best interests forward. And so with Susan B. Anthony, when she went out there and they started advocating for women to be able to vote, 
basically, she was enraged. And she was a racist. She was enraged. She couldn't understand how a black man was able to vote before a white woman was able to vote. So you need to go back and you need to understand the history and how a lot of this came about. And this is why I always tell you guys, go back, read the history. And I also tell you, when I talk about things on this show, trust but verify. I want you to research what I'm telling you. And I want you to come to an understanding for yourself. And for those that are new to this show, in the event you ever get a chance to meet me or talk to me or what have you, please do not come up to me and tell me what I said on this show. I know what I said. I was here. Come up to me and tell me how, how the information that I shared with you helped you to grow and how you were able to use that information and you were able to help someone else grow. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear about the results. I want to hear about the positive impact that this has had on your life. I don't need you to repeat to me the shit I said. I know what I said. I was there. Now, so I need you to understand that. I want to see growth. I want to see results. And it's okay to cry. And it's okay to make mistakes. You're human. Some of the shit I can tell you. So anyway, getting back to Donald Trump and his hatred of black women. Guys, keep an eye on that, and we have to push back. We can't allow that to continue happening. You know, even with, you know, with Stacey Abrams and him saying that she's not qualified, and with Gillum, how he's trying to accuse Gillum of being a criminal, and just all of these things. And, and in, in some cases, he's talking about, the you know, they should, re, they should um, have a new vote. They should, re, you know... Uh, redo basically the election with just some straight up bullshit because he would have he would have been shitting bricks if we said that about the presidential election. You know, and I'm I'm sitting back because they're using the same playbook with Kemp and DeSantis and all of them. They're using the same playbook that forty five used. And Kemp basically um, saying that because Abrams refuses to concede, he's calling it a disgrace to democracy. I call it righteous. Why should she concede with all of the voter suppression that took place in the state of Georgia? And now there are lawsuits going back and forth, and a judge is telling them that they have to count all of these votes. And the same thing is happening in Florida. So I want you guys to keep up with what's happening here because this is definitely um, something that we should be paying attention to, especially since they gutted the Voters' Rights Act, right, and saying, oh, it's not going to affect anything. Look at, look at these results. And that was only Section 5. They're going after Section 2 next. So, you know, we're going to need for some of you to stand the fuck up. You know, those that do believe in voting, those that are outraged, you know, this is not, you know, a call to action to everyone. You know, for those that don't vote, like I said, no shame. Because I was on the verge of not voting either. And it's so interesting because, you know, I talked to Raina and a couple of other friends and we were talking. And I was like, I don't even know why I vote. I'm at the point I, I really don't understand why I'm voting anymore. I just do it. And so I got some more to say about that a little bit later, but it's crazy.
crazy, but I'm sitting here and looking at what's happening with Kemp, you know, versus Abrams and DeSantis versus Gillum. And basically what they are doing, what Kemp and, and, and DeSantis are doing is basically, you know, telling Abrams and Gillum to stand down. And basically they want them to, you know, come to heal. That's basically what they're doing or trying to force. You know, and white people hate it when you refuse, absolutely, unapologetically refuse to genuflect and kiss their asses. And that's why when Gillum said that he was uncompromised and unapologetic, I was like, well, all right now. You know, and so he rescinded his concession. But at the end of the day, the story is not about Abrams. It's not about Gillum. It's not about 45 in this particular race. It's about the voter suppression that happened all across the United States. That's the headline. And that's what we need to be focused on. You know, and so it's just really interesting because you hear this rhetoric. And, you know, I've heard it from a number of people, you know, not just white people. I've heard some of the same bullshit out of black people. And you just need to be aware of what's happening there. You know, and it's interesting because many of them, you know, you know, they'll tell us, they'll use words, you know, I posted an article on my wall and it was a, it was a breakup <laughs> with white women. And in that particular article, it was talking about them using words like inclusivity and intersectionality, you know, the, the right words to woo us, right? You gotta have, you gotta say the right sweet things to get our attention, and they know what to say. But again, I've talked about performative activism. I've talked about performative blackness. I've talked about all of these things over the years. And you know, it was so interesting. I had one person say, "Well, you know, you repeat a lot of stuff." Yeah, not everybody has heard all the shows, but the person who said you repeat stuff. You started talking about you had never heard of intersectionality four or five years after I had been talking about it and teaching on it extensively. So you ain't even paying attention. And that's the part that, you know, that has me hollering when I see that shit. And I'm like, go sit your ass down somewhere before I hand it back to you. And so, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, white women used to taunt and torment and tease black women for having full lips, for having, you know, uh, a fat ass or what have you. And now they're spending thousands of dollars, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for to, to have their lips enlarged or, you know, the, the, um, the what is that called? Um, Botox and, you know, the, the butt enhancements and all of that shit. And, but, I mean, white women have been appropriating black culture for a long time. I remember when Bo Derrick had the cornrows or the French braids put in her hair, and all of a sudden, you know, it's avant-garde. Oh, that is so exotic. That's, ah. Oh. And then when one of the Kardashians, I don't know which is which anymore, but one of them, I guess, has, it's just, it's, I'm like, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, what the hell? 
You know, it's not like it's new. So when I sit here, I'm not surprised, but it's like it's the same things over and over. History repeats itself. You know, sometimes people will say, well, Kim, how did you know these things were going to happen? And I say, because I understand the history. And these things are going to continue to happen until we learn how to react and to deal with certain things differently. So we're going to continue going in circles, you know, 360 degrees, a revolution. That is what a revolution is. It's a full term, 360 degrees, right? And I'm going to get into that a little bit different, you know, a little bit later. Um yeah, I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But, you know, you have these white women appropriating black culture and, and declaring themselves black and exotic because they've never felt like they were white. They feel as though they're black. You know, there's a lawsuit happening now. This man in his 60s is trying to demand that they set back the clock and declare him 45 years of age because he feels like he's 45. I don't have the article in front of me. Sorry, I wasn't prepared. I just... It just came back to my recollection as I was talking about this. But, you know, what's interesting is some of these white women that helped to put together, um, you know, oh, well, before I go into that, the reason why this is coming up for me right now is because there are women, white women on Instagram and YouTube and other places that are putting on brown makeup, making themselves look darker and exotic, and they're winning these contracts and winning these, you know, um, campaigns or what have you, but we'll just say contracts and positions that should belong and should go to black and brown women. But these white women that are impersonating black and brown women are getting these contracts, are getting the recognition And so they're starting to call them out even more behind these things. And I'm bringing that to your attention for a reason. You know, and I'll revisit that in a future show, but it's bullshit. And on one one particular thread on, on Twitter, they, one of the white women that were defending these white women appropriating the culture was even saying, you know, they were even defending Rachel Dolezal. They said after they watched her documentary, which is on Netflix, how they felt even sorrier for her and was defending her. And you're going to see a lot more of that. And, you know, there are other white women that have done the same thing that Dolezal did. So this is becoming more and more frequent. This is becoming more and more prevalent. Uh I just need for you guys to pay attention. But speaking of, you know, you know, white women, and a few minutes ago I was talking about their women's march. Alyssa Milano is over there stirring up some shit. So basically she's angry and demanding that Tamika Mallory and Linda Sarsour denounce Louis Farrakhan because they feel that Louis Farrakhan is anti-Semitic. So for those of you that aren't familiar with what's happening, um, you know, you have Alyssa Milano basically making a false equivalency here with Farrakhan. And because she's trying to 
enhance or heighten her her profile, you know, as far as feminism, white feminism is concerned, because she was all up in there when, um, you know, they were before Congress, Kavanaugh, right? And so I already see the direction she's going in. You know, she was trying to hijack Me Too as far as the hashtag is concerned because people were trying to attribute that to her and a couple of other white women. And at first they said nothing until black women stepped in and made sure that that um, Tarana Burke received the credit that she deserved. And even right now, Tarana has some interesting things to say about Me Too and, you know, the direction that it went in and, and the original meaning of it and, and how some of this has gone awry, if you will. So, but yeah, they're, they're putting together a false equivalency in regards to Louis Farrakhan and their demands, you know, for, you know, Tamika and Linda to denounce him. And Alyssa is saying that, you know, she's not going to march or show up or support it unless Tamika and Linda step down. And that takes us into a whole different conversation, which is why I really don't want to get into it right now, but into a totally different conversation about who we throw away, who we cast away. So it's, it's really interesting, you know, you know how all of that works. And um, it's, I'm not even really going to get into it. But what I find interesting is with Alyssa and a number of these other white women, they won't even address the racism within the feminist movement. And this is the reason why you have someone like me who does not support the feminist movement, the mainstream feminist movement. I support the black feminists and the black womanists. Yes, I do. But the mainstream white feminist movement, they can kiss my ass. Same thing with the mainstream LGBTQIA movement. Nope. I support the black LGBTQ community the black trans community. Yes, I support them. Because without black and brown trans women, there would be no LGBTQ movement, period. Go back and learn the history. Go back to Stonewall. Go back and look to see who fought back with the police. Who fought back? Who was beaten up? Who went to jail? Who was killed? Whose lives were ruined? Some of them died destitute. So this is one of the reasons why when it comes to, like, these mainstream movements, this is why I back away. And then also understand the history, especially with Tamika uh, Mallory and her history with the Nation of Islam. When Mallory, when Tamika Mallory was at the lowest point in her life, they helped her. When she was despondent, when she was depressed, when she was out of sorts and just fucking out there, she went to them, they took her in, and they helped her. Where the fuck were you? 
and this is nothing but force, you know, this is nothing but gaslighting. And in this particular situation with Alyssa Milano, it's forced subjugation. And again, going back to what I said earlier, basically bringing them to heel and to kiss her fucking pinky ring before she allows them to stand upright, that they must bow down and do what the fuck Alyssa wants them to do because she's a white woman and she is in charge. So now you got this power tripping and this racism coming to play. So again, performative activism, fuck Susan B. Anthony, racist motherfucker. And again, she... He couldn't fathom that a black man could vote before she could, before a white woman could. Now look that shit up. And even with the Women's March, I never supported it. I supported the black, brown, red, and yellow activists and organizers who helped to put that together, the ones that helped to organize the march. And that's the only reason why I went to the first one. And I didn't go to the beginning of it. I stayed in back on the outskirts. And I was there, you know, for a short amount of time, and I left. You know, so go and look these things up, you know, because I have a vivid imagination, but I couldn't make this shit up if I wanted to. But, yeah, you know, yeah, go back and, um, you know, look up some of these situations, and let me give you her name again, Thavalia, T-H-A-V-O-L-I-A, again, Thavalia, T-H-A-V-O-L-I-A, Glymph, her last name, G-L-Y-M-P-H, G-L-Y-M-P-H, and the name of her book is Outhouse Bondage, and, um, you know, I just ordered, and it's talking about the plantation and relationships of white women with the slaves, you know, and I have to be careful because I have an aunt whose name is kind of similar to that, but it's one or two letters are switched, so I wanted to make sure that I was as respectful as possible and tried not to mispronounce her name, even though I'm known for fucking up some names around here. But, yeah, I want you to go back and go back and look at the relationship of white women and black women, but especially white women and and their relations or, or relationship or not, their role in white supremacy and white privilege. You know, I posted an article talking about the alt-right, the white nationalist, the white supremacist secret weapon. Their secret weapon is white women. And I've been talking to you guys about a lot of these um, subversive groups that are out here and, you know, that are recruiting. And, I mean, I'm talking about some of these groups that are white, male, patriarchal, cisgendered, again, white, male-dominated and centered groups. So, you know, that would be these alt-right groups, the white nationals, the white supremacist group. That would include the atheist community. That would include the satanic community. That would include the men's rights communities, those particular activists. Um, and they're recruiting a lot of black and brown people, men and women, but particularly men. And it's because of the patriarchy. And then the male was well, the patriarchy, you know, the male domination. 
And in some cases, some of these black men want what these white men have, the power and the money. And we've talked about white women and why they vote for issues that some of us, black women, and some black men would say they're voting against their own best interests. I beg to differ. They're not voting against their best interests. They're voting for their best interests. They understand exactly what's happening. And that is the reason why when I see those white tears and I'll see white women or hear them say certain things, I shake my head. In one of the classes over the summer when I was in Europe, the white woman was up there, and she was saying, white women don't know, white people don't know when we say these things, you know, how offensive it is. And I shook my head, yes. And she was like, no, we really don't know. And I shook my head, yes. And she was like, seriously, we don't know. And I just looked at her, laughed, and turned around. And it's interesting because it came back up later. Some other folks caught that too. You know, I just didn't feel like going through. And then also I was a guest. You know, but I expressed myself and, you know, because I talked to her afterwards, the white woman, and her stance was her stance. But for the most part, yes, they know exactly what they're saying. They know exactly what they're doing. And, again, we've talked about the proximity to power. See, white supremacy, white patriarchy benefits white women, and they know this. But what they're able to do is use those white tears, use that white feminism. They try to use that as a shield to protect them. And it works. You know, there's a long history here. And and particularly, there's a long history and legacy to that particular mindset. And again, it's about cover. It's about shielding. It's about using it to their benefit. It's about how is it going to benefit them. So, yes, they are voting in their own best interests. And like I said, some of these white women are worse than some of the white men that we sit up here and we talk about. But you need to pay attention. You need to pay close attention to what's happening. You know, and so, again, you got 45 recommending Nancy Pelosi to be to be the speaker because he thinks that she's going to shield him. And see, now Maxine Waters is going to be the chair of the finance committee, so now she can subpoena his tax records and everything else. And there was an article, I don't have it in front of me, Um, I think it's the Wall Street Journal, I didn't really get a chance to read it, but it's talking about the Trump Organization. And it's talking about their history and ties to money laundering and all of that. We've, I've been telling you all this shit from 2015 when he first announced that he was going to run. And it's really interesting because, see, he's not the only one out here laundering money. And he's not the only kleptocrat out there. Look at all the people he has in his administration. But even beyond his administration, this is something that has been happening for a while. So, again, the only benefit to having 45 in office is he don't give a damn. He's putting it out there. He's ripping that veil off. And he's showing us the things that we had already been saying and suspecting that the majority of them are frauds, 
they did not earn their way, that meritocracy is a myth, that exceptionalism, that bullshit is a myth, and many of them got to where they got to by stealing, killing, and taking it away and oppressing the rest of us to, to ensure that they have more. And this will continue to be the case, even though globally white people are in the minority and you're seeing this change happening in the United States as well as some of these other countries. And this is one of the reasons why I had you all focusing on Western Europe and why I was posting and talking so much about Western Europe from 2013 till now. Like I said, some of you got angry, but I told you that it was coming to a city near you and look at what the fuck is happening. Because even where I live now, for those that aren't aware, I don't. I no longer live in Chicago. I get up there at least once a month, but I no longer live in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But down here in this little town where I'm living, hell, we have a Nazi headquarters here. So, you know, you're talking about somebody being real damn careful. You know, I'm in the middle of Klan country, if we're going to tell the truth which is one of the reasons why I'm having such a hard time down here with all these white people and these microaggressions. I've already had a few situations in which motherfuckers wanted to touch my hair without without permission. I'm halfway ready to damn shave these locks off. You hear me? It gets way too much fucking attention. Anyway, going back to Nancy Pelosi before I go off on a rant about these white people down here. Um, Nancy Pelosi, you know, if 45 is recommending her to remain speaker, there's some shit in this game. And I need you to pay attention. Because this is crazy. But I've been saying for a while that Nancy needs to have a seat and let someone else take the reins, right? But it don't look like that's going to happen. But we can put a hell of a lot of pressure on Nancy. And I wonder, in turn, if Nancy is going to pressure Maxine Waters to back the fuck up off of 45. And one of the reasons why 45 is feeling really vulnerable right now is because they think that Mueller is about to bring an indictment on Junior. So I need for you guys to keep your eyes open for that. But personally, I say kick them all out. I've been saying... And this for decades, we need to kick them out, take away those incentives. It makes no sense that you can serve one term in the House of Representatives and one term in the Senate, and you get a percentage, a high percentage of your salary for the rest of your fucking life. Who does that? Who does that? I ain't never had a job that did that shit. How does that work? So anyway... I just want to thank all the white women out there because you showed up and you showed out for whiteness. I didn't expect anything different. 76% of you voted for Kemp over Abrams. 61% of you voted for Cruz over O'Rourke. 51% voted for DeSantis over Gillum. You have never let me down. And then I have people coming at me all sideways. You're so negative. No, fucking negative. I see it for what it is. And the thing is, is that it all boils down to the fact that you're fucking racist and your white privilege shields you from the consequences of your damn vote. Because either way, at the end of the day, you're still fucking white. 
and your privilege allows you to opt out of fucking caring. I said I wasn't going to do this today. Anyway, um, you know, I was reading articles because I'm always reading. Ah, for those of you out there, I have a forum on Reddit. We have a Black Freethinkers forum on Reddit. And, you know, back in the day on Facebook, I used to post my ass off, just like bling, bling, bling. So that's what I've been doing on Reddit. But um, the past two days, I didn't post a lot. Like I said, was just tired out of it and slept really the last couple of days away. But um, go over to Reddit, subscribe. I post some really, really good shit. And the name of that Reddit is Black Free Thinkers. So one word, B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S. And I post great articles. I started another Reddit. It's called Black Critical Thought. And it's a little bit different. And I really haven't had a chance to really develop it. But if you go over there, there are some things over there now, and you'll see the direction that I'm going in. So, um, you know, please come and subscribe. Uh, For those of you out there um, that have subscribed, thank you so much. I appreciate it. But going back to these white women, you know, and, and, you know, some of them have been suppressed. You know, for some of these white women, their husbands go with them to the to the um, to the voting, you know, to, to to go vote. They'll go with them to the polls, and they will go into the booth with their wives to make sure that their wives are voting the white way. Did you hear me? And so. <laughs> It's just, it's interesting, but, you know, I have to look at black men, too, because I'm like, what the hell? 16% of black men voted for Cruz, and 13% voted for Kemp. What the fuck is going on over here? But the truth of the matter is, the even with 45, the black support for 45 is going up. Now, it's not the numbers that they're out here putting out here. Because I don't see 35, 36% of black people supporting Donald Trump. I don't believe that to be true. However, these numbers are going up. So you need to pay attention to this. And what's interesting is, you know, you'll see us out here, and you'll hear me talking about white women and some of the choices that they make. But then you'll have some of these white men out here signifying something that I'm saying or other black women or other black people or black men or what have you that are out here saying about white women and some of the choices that they're making. And some of these white men will be out here acting like they woke and retweeting us and putting all this shit out here. And all they're trying to do is shield their own misogyny and sexism because they have a problem with white women. It's not necessarily that they agree with us. It's the, it's the fact that they mad at them. And you need to learn how to tell the difference between those as well and call that out for what the fuck it is. I see you. And let me make sure I make myself real clear. You ain't with us. You're just against them. But you ain't with us. So like I said, the numbers don't lie. You tell us one thing, and then you do something different, and the shit ain't adding up. 
And for those black and brown folks, especially the black folks out here that like to shuck and jive for the white people, have you hugged your ally today? And so I know some of you, I forgot to get to this at the beginning of the show, you're like miming, tumbling, and shucking. What the fuck does that mean? What is she talking about? Where is she going with this here? Well, you know what a mime is. (laughs) Oh, I pissed off a black religious person. And, you know, they call themselves anointed mimes, but, you know, they kept fucking with me, so I called him a Christian clown. He wasn't too happy about that. But it seems as though with some white people, most white people, I'll just put it like that, you know, they want to see us. They want us to do something funny and entertaining and to keep their attention, but not too much. We don't really want you talking, you know, and when you do talk, we want you to to use the talking points that we gave you and that we approve of. But it's okay if you ad-lib sometimes, but don't get too out there, you know, because we can support you. But we can't support you if you go too far, and we can't support you. Look, we, we don't like those actions. If you do it this way, we'll support you. You know, there's always, you know, there's always a catch to this shit. But if we're just out here miming, and especially if we mime ourselves into a little box, that makes them happy because mimes don't talk. You know, they like that little white face shit, right? You're in black and white, so no ambiguity there. It either is or it isn't. So you know your role. Entertain us. Keep us a little occupied, but know your place and stay in your little box. And when I say tumbling, we have to do all kinds of fucking gymnastics and, you know, just we have to go through a bunch of unnecessary changes to navigate around white fragility. And it's a shame because it's like, you know, we can't say or do anything without you feeling as though your little white fragility, your white feelings are being attacked and you're out of control. And that's what goes back to this ownership thing. You know, you're okay. And it's okay to say that, but maybe you should phrase it this way. But it's saying the same shit. But no, you should say it this way because it's a little bit more nuanced. Oh, so you want me to say it nicer. Is that what it is? When I say it this way, it hurts your feelings. If I talk too loud, it hurts your feelings. Because, yeah, our whole lives are supposed to revolve around you and your feelings, right? And we never know what's going to offend you. We're never, we never know what's going to, to upset you. So, so basically we have to walk around on eggshells, performing gymnastics to keep you happy, right? You can't engage with us. Unless you feel as though we're doing it from what? A colorblind perspective? Or a perspective in which you have the upper hand? 
Is that how this shit works? And shucking. Now, you know what shucking is. Dancing around. They want dancing bears. Like I said, if they give you a seat at the table, it's not the seat that you want because, you know, you're either serving the meal, you are the meal, or you're the fucking entertainment. But you're not an equal. And they'll never see you that way. But they don't mind if you ease on down the road, dancing to the beat of their drum, right? But it has to be their drum. None of them voodoo African drums, right? Well, we don't understand the beat. The syncopation is off. Like clapping on the one and third, or the first and third, or the second and fourth, or all four. What? And so, you know, I'm just sitting back, and like I said, on that Tuesday when the results were coming in, I had my headphones on, and, you know, I was jamming away, looking at the numbers, reading, you know, doing my thing. And Wednesday morning when I got up, I watched the news for a couple of hours. I had to go and lay back down. So those people are giving me a headache. But, see, the, the media is irresponsible. Because they created Donald Trump. And I'm not just talking about, you know, as president now, even back way back when. And he knows how to manipulate them. But they're the ones that gave him all this coverage. They're the ones actually that helped put him over the top. But yet they don't want to take any responsibility for it. And now that he's attacking them, now it's becoming a problem, but not so much of a problem because he's ratings gold. He brings in big advertising dollars to them. So they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Some of them will say, but that's not true. You can continue to ignore his ass because what happened to Bob Acosta and what happened to those black reporters, that's bullshit. And I'm willing to bet money. Maybe it happened because, I mean, I just been kind of staying away just catching stories here and there. But I would not be surprised if Abby or April or Yamish or any of the black, I, I would not be surprised if they had their credentials snatched as well if they were if they were banned. And so now you have talk within some of the media circles talking about, well, maybe we should boycott. They're never going to do that. Because you'll still have Breitbart there. You'll still have Fox News there. You'll still have all of these conservative outlets there. They're not going to boycott shit. But they're state-run media companies. And I've lost a lot of respect for a lot of them, for a lot of these um, networks, for a lot of these, you know, talking heads. And the thing is, is that they're the ones that are helping to normalize racism again. Not that it ever went away, because, see, the thing is, is that what 45 is saying and doing has always been said and done in this country, except they wanted to put a little civility and politeness on it. And he just ripped the scab right up off of that, and it's 
ugly earth. But they're normalizing, you know, these these white supremacists, these alt-right groups, telling us that we should understand where they're coming from. No, the fuck we ain't. You're not trying to understand us. And that's the reason why I'm sitting back and I get to pull my hair out of my head because I saw something the other day talking about the, the, the young people that survived the Parkland mass shooting and how, oh, I, post, I think I posted it on my wall. It was a little mean, you know, and I think I posted it today. And it was talking about how, you know, the Parkland students, how they were widely received and get all of this positive, you know, attention and all of this support, but the black students didn't. And I, in one of my talks, and I don't know if, they, if they've released this talk, it's probably on YouTube somewhere, but I talked about that. And I talked about how the black and brown kids, particularly the black kids, were out here taking a hit, and they have been out here protesting this gun violence and a number of different types of violence that we, we, we partake of and we are victim of and victim to on a daily basis. We were criminalized, lied on, talked about, mistreated, all that shit. And these children are being heralded. Now, I will say with that the march that they had, the march for our lives, they talked to a number of people, and I admire what they achieved in that particular march. But see, the comment that one of the activists made showed me that, no, some of you still don't get it. Saying, well, we did it, you know, in a positive way or, or, or we did it in a way that was more acceptable. No, it's not that you did anything in a positive way or you did something that was more acceptable. You did it, you're white. I can't even say you did it in a white way because there was no white way to protest. You're just white and it's more palatable, and it's more accepted when you have white activists and organizers, unless you're going after somebody's fucking money, and then they got a problem. They don't care what damn color you are then. Uh, right? So anyway, la, 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 la. And, you know, the media is complicit. And the excuses you give, the same bullshit we hear from church folks and non-church folks, when they fuck you over, they'll say my intentions were pure in heart and you don't know my heart, which is why you have people walking around saying things were racially tinged or it may have been, you know, a little racially insensitive instead of calling it for what it is. It was racist or it was racism. Well, you don't know what's in their heart. Fuck your heart. Your heart ain't got shit to do with none of this. And yet again, we're still out here, and you have these people who have good hearts and good intentions who are forcing us to argue, explain, and beg for our humanity. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Fuck them. And fuck Bernie Sanders. 
I was like, Bernie, what? The very thing that you described is racist. Oh, you have some white people that won't vote for black people because they're uncomfortable voting for black people, but that doesn't mean that they're racist. Yes, the fuck it does. That's textbook. Why are white people so afraid to call something racist? And what's another when they do these gymnastics, trying to say anything but black? Oh, well, what's your nationality? I'm an American. Oh, well, what's your culture? I'm an American. I'm going to make you ask the right question. It is all about comforting white people, not causing any discomfort to them. La, 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 la. Right? And so, you know, white people like nuance. So they try to nuance this shit and they try to clean it up. <laughs> they try to clean it up and paint it as not necessarily being racist, you know, and, and try to clean it up so that it doesn't seem, that this person doesn't seem irresponsible. You know, and, and basically they're letting the racists off the hook. And that's exactly what Bernie Sanders did. He's letting the racists off the hook. And the truth of the matter is, the only reason why some of them voted for Obama is because he didn't threaten their fragile sensibilities, right? He didn't offend their fragile sensibilities. Their fragility wasn't ticked. You know, he is half white and well-mannered, right? They like that. And quite a few white people felt as though Obama was working, you know, for their best interests, which he was. You know, and it's interesting because there were a lot of white people and some blacks, but mainly white people, who were um, tricked into believing that they were living in a post-racial America. We ain't living in no post-racial America, and it sure as hell ain't colorblind. And if you still believe that, it's because you want it to be deceived. But who the hell am I? Little black girl from the south side of Chicago, right? So anyway, it's just a bunch of bullshit, you know, and I was feeling bad because, you know, I posted a couple of articles. So I didn't feel bad for that because I post articles, even things that I don't necessarily agree with, but I'm putting it out there, you know, because I want you to think. And in some cases, I wanted to challenge your thought process. I want you to utilize those critical thinking skills to understand, you know, where other people are coming from, even if it's the very antipathy of what you believe. Because how can you make a solid, good counter-argument when you don't know what you're arguing against? So, um, you know, you had people out here shaming voters. And, you know, I don't really get into that. And, And I saw the article, and it was talking about Oprah now. Let me just let you guys know, I absolutely adore Oprah. 
I may not agree with all of her politics, and there may be a lot of things I disagree with her on, but I love Oprah, period. And when she gave her talk, there were points I'm like, yeah, Oprah. And other points I was like, oh, girl, come on. You know, it's so, um, you know, even the narrative about calling people out or shaming them, you know, into voting, you know, the narrative is all fucked up. Because it's like, you know, and I'm guilty of saying this in the past myself, you know, people died so that I could vote. That's the least I can do. And like I admitted earlier, hell, I don't know why I vote. I just get out there and do it. I just vote because I'm supposed to vote. Because I don't necessarily believe in the political system that we're living under. And I sure as hell have not necessarily seen the benefits of it to me and my community. But maybe the narrative should be my people were murdered at the at, at even thinking about it, the very thought of wanting to go out here and vote and to be free. But see, that makes white people uncomfortable. Instead of saying Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, he was murdered. Let's call it for what it is. Still had people being disenfranchised, standing in line for hours, you know, sending their ballots in that won't be counted, you know, not even having absentee ballots or mail-in ballots sent to them. Like I said, the headline is voter suppression. The Voting Rights Act, Section 5. John Roberts, right? Talk about how the Democrats are complicit with these tactics and how it benefits them as well. Oh, you don't want to talk about that? But I need you to look around and pay attention. Because the Democrats do benefit from voter suppression and low voter turnout in certain situations. So I'll tell you in a heartbeat right now, I'm tiptoeing the line. Someone said, well, presidents aren't elected, they're selected. And, I mean, hell, we should have abolished the Electoral College a long time ago. And so it's interesting. You have people, you know, quoting Malcolm X, and and I'll, I'll read the entire quote, right? And it says here, quote, I wouldn't suggest that they vote for any party or either party. I would suggest that the so-called Negroes become politically mature, realize the power that they hold in the field of politics. Once the person realizes that the Negro is awakened to the power that he holds, then that person will approach that Negro on a more intelligent plane. As it is right now, most of the Negro leaders sell out to the white politicians for crumbs, and a political awakening among Negroes will make it impossible for the present Negro leaders to sell our people out as they've been doing in the past, end quote, Malcolm X. Now, we've talked a little bit about the black political class, the black elite, and how they've betrayed the black community, and that's true. 
You know, and that's a totally different conversation, but they have. Even now, I mean, I've had people giving me the side eye because I've mentioned a couple of names, and I said hell will burn over or hell will freeze over before I vote for a couple of specific people. That's never going to happen. Why? Because I looked at their records and their voting records and their, their, their work records of what they did before they even won office. And many of them are just political grandstanders, right? Self-serving opportunists. But, you know, going back to, you know, the original intent of this conversation is, you know, white people have to be held accountable for how they vote for whiteness. And that includes white women. Hmm. And then you want to point the finger at black people and tell us that it's all on us to go out here and vote. We should go out there and vote because everything depends on us because people died when we were the ones being murdered, beaten, cheated, silenced, punished. We're even thinking about voting. We're even thinking about registering to vote. There are a lot of black women that were beaten and killed and, 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 you know, lost their jobs, their livelihoods, their careers, all of that for attempting to register people to vote. And, again, that's not saying that someone should or should not vote. But if we're going to talk about that history, let's talk about it correctly. They didn't just die. They were murdered, left for dead, chased down, chased out of their homes, had their property taken from them. In some cases, were never able to go back and see their families. So you got a lot of that happening, and a lot of that has happened. And like I said, if we're going to talk about this and we're going to, you know, have this particular narrative, then we're going to have to frame it differently. You know, I posted an article about 45 and this bullshit about his nationalism and all of this birthright, you know, controversy. And the truth of the matter is that this birthright issue has nothing to do with the Constitution. It's all about white nationalism. And so, you know, I have purposefully stayed out of that descendants of slaves conversation for a reason. Now, I will agree, black People are owed reparations. We should be seeking reparations. However, we cannot and should not overlook look that there were a number of black and African immigrants who stood on the front line with us during 
many of our movements in this country, many of our movements and fights in this country. We cannot factor them out of this conversation. But I also feel that African descendants, especially African, well, okay, let me let me stop, let me back it up. Africans and black people that are descendants of slaves internationally should receive reparations. Because we've talked about a lot of these hidden uh Communities. I mean, you know, you have black Iranians, you have black Syrians, you have black Iraqis. I mean, just all over the place. And what they did to Haiti and what they continue to do to Haiti is just criminal. Haiti is still paying for kicking France out. And it doesn't help that the Clintons went over there and stole a whole bunch of money from them, too. But it's not just the Clintons. But internationally, descendants of slaves should receive reparations. And you know what? I'm about to let that go because I don't want nobody calling me up trying to have that particular conversation. You have people out here that are talking about that, and they can do a much better job at that than I can because on this show here, you know, I talk about a number of things. But I'm not talking comprehensively, and I'm not necessarily trying to do that. And I can already tell you right now, I'm ready to go take a nap now. I'm tired. You know, but um, it's interesting, you know, on a personal note here. You know, I, I laugh. I laugh because I hear things and I see things and people bring shit to me. And I laugh because there are some people out here that try to admonish me. And, and and have a problem and say that their problem with me is about the type of language that I use and my lack of nuance and in and, and my tone sometimes. So here we go with the tone policing, you know, your fucking concern trolling. And, again, it's about coddling white folks' feelings. You know, your, your allies are a little uncomfortable with the shit that I say and the way that I say it, Right? So, you know, basically for those who are not familiar, tone policing is when someone attacks the validity of a message because of how it was said rather than because of what was said. And in one particular situation, everything I said was true, but you just didn't like the way I said it because it was raw, direct, and to the point, and unfucking apologetic. I meant it then, I mean it now. And so what's so interesting is, you know, some of you, you know, some of your little white friends will come to you, phone call, text message, inbox, in person, what the fuck ever, and say, what happened to Kim? You need to go and get your little friend together. You need to go gather her up. Snatch them edges, right? Because, you know, it's, it's interesting because there are many white people out here who feel that it is their collective duty to monitor and control black people. And many of you are too afraid to say something your damn self, so you go and find your token. Well, let me tell you something. Your tokens are afraid to confront me, for the most part. Because I give no shit about dragging them, and I'll drag your ass too. Then I'll hear, 
She used to be so neutral. I wasn't neutral. I spoke the truth. But you overlooked certain things because you thought I was a part of your twisted black people clique that you could control. Or that was team you. And that was never the case with me, and I don't understand how you didn't see it. Now, there was something that happened. I was freed. And when I no longer worked for a corporate entity and was no longer beholden to their little employee handbook, I was free. And I'm free now. I got free. So I no longer had to gauge my speak or bridle my tongue because my livelihood depended on it. And so, yes, I got louder. I got more specific and started asserting myself more. You don't like that for some odd reason, but that's not my problem. And when I started going hardball after your asses and your communities and the bullshit that you're saying and your damn bullshit-ass missions, then you felt threatened. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're going to send someone after me, don't send in the clowns. Because I'm going to hand their asses right the fuck back to them. And for those of you that are confused, you know, this is black free thinkers. I run this. People of color beyond faith. I run that too. There's no room for discussion, and questions will not be answered. You know this. You have people out here that bank on me being silent and ignoring a lot of bullshit. Okay. Keep poking the dragon. So anyway, um, la, 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 la. Now that I got that off my chest, you know, um, I'm sitting back and going back to the, you know, vote shaming and all that bullshit. You know, you have some of these neoliberals that use Trayvon Martin on a billboard to push their agenda to get black people out there to vote, saying that if he were alive, he would be, I think, 25 years of age and, you know, and, and, and basically you know, implying that Trayvon would have voted or what have you, and to whoever put that together and did that, fuck you. And I find that billboard just as offensive as I found the Slaves Obey Your Slave Masters billboard. I'm offended by both of them. And so, you know, it's just real interesting. Um, You know, the a young man on Twitter, and his um, Twitter handle is at Professor J. Love, and he he said this, a lot of y'all's pro-blackness demands validation and acceptance from white people, and I'm here to tell you that's not pro-black. He's right. You want the white folks to validate you, to accept you, and to finance your shit. How that work? And when you think you can't get the money or you need more money, you do and say disparaging shit. 
And so again, <laughs> you have so you have folks out here so busy trying to protect the feelings of white folks that they haven't realized that you know you abandoned your original mission. What you started out doing, what you wanted to achieve, that's been totally abandoned. Because now your focus is on white people and and centering them in their feelings. You do know that's done on purpose, that you're being manipulated that way. But also, you know, I'm just sitting back (laughs) at some of these white people who are too scared to say anything or to say it themselves, so they send out their black BFF, you know, the Negro whispers who they've trained to attack black folks who dare to speak out against them and speak out about how, you know, these white folks are complicit in structural racism, you know. Um, so I would guess I would say to these Negro whisperers, you know, how many of your so-called allies, and I put in parenthesis right here, all lies. How many of your so-called allies and white friends are actually proposing real solutions to solving structural racism as opposed to just encouraging you to to vote for Democrats who have neglected to produce any real legislation that will free black and brown people. So what you can sit at the damn same lunch counter? Better hope they ain't spitting or poisoning your fucking food. You can drink white water as opposed to the colored water. Whoopee. You've been given the right to vote, but it's negated if they feel like they have to suppress your vote to get the white people in office and in order to empower the other whites, in order to continue to keep their privilege. Look, I'm just sitting back, and I'm just looking at some of these passive-aggressive white agendas that are out here, and I'm saying we need to walk out on a bunch of this shit and turn our backs on it and force them to create viable solutions. And I feel that we need to expose and dismantle the institutions that that you know that actually make deceitful white people very happy. Like their churches. Like their good old boy networks, like their schools, like their families, their favorite politicians, and especially their mediocrity. There are a lot of white folks that are out here that are afraid to even acknowledge white supremacy and white privilege because it will expose the fact that they didn't get everything that they achieved and everything that they have from their own merit. Because over time, we have proven that many of them, their efforts have been less than fucking mediocre. We got to have 12 PhDs, be able to balance ourselves on one finger and, you know, do backflips, all of this shit to just be the damn secretary. And we need to develop strategies that extend beyond white women and their presumed sympathies. So, again, I was talking about Vavalia Glimp. And I wrote a note here. I said, um, Vavalia Glimp noted that white women played active, not passive roles in the plantation oligarchy. They were central to the violence and discipline. 
and dig deeper into the history. So I definitely want you all to go out there and do some research. But um, it's just it's really unfortunate because, you know, unfortunately, there are too many of us that are under the misguided delusion that these white supremacists who are out here purposefully manipulating and exploiting you, you know, you're under the misguided delusion that you are actually, that they are, that they are actually going to respect you and give you something because you hate some of the people and some of the things that they hate. And unfortunately, some of you are self-serving opportunists who are happy to throw yourselves at the altar of these fucking broken systems out of self-interest and narcissism. And it's interesting because some of these same people will tell you that they know that they are black and they love black people and they love being black, but at the same time, they're kowtowing to their white allies. And their allies like your kind because cause that particular blackness or performative blackness has been crafted and approved by these white institutions and by these white folks who know what their real agenda is but can count on people like you to carry their message, to carry their water, and still not understand the real mission. Nor do you ask too many damn questions. Not key questions anyway. And the only thing that some of you only understand is the hope that you is that is the fact that you hope to benefit from your perceived loyalty and dedication to whatever it is they're trying to do over there. And you do it happily. Why? Because fuck everybody else, right? And you enjoy being the only or almost only black person in the environment where blackness is basically non-existent and, and somewhat discouraged. And I'm talking about these white, patriarchal, cisgendered, hetero, male-dominated and centered institutions and environments. And to the so-called white allies, I don't know. Man, I think I probably need to stop. Because I don't know if you're hearing me out there or if I'm wasting my fucking time. But anyway, to the so-called white allies, you know, the performative solidarity you give us, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Performative solidarity you give us to ease your fucking conscience. You want to be seen as a good white person. You want to be seen as being politically correct an attempt to create for yourself and your family a passage through this life, a relatively easy passage through this life, none of that shit means a damn thing after a while. And the truth of the matter is that many of you are still white supremacist sympathizers. You know, and it's, I sit back and I look at these things. 
you know, let me ask, tell you to ask yourself a question. When you see these white supremacists out here attacking people in the streets and especially attacking people who are against some of their leaders, why is it that they're not, they're not the ones being arrested? It's the peaceful protesters they are being arrested. Is because they feel as though they're being that they're playing by the rules, but the police and these other folks that are out there are part of this system. But the police are arresting you, the peaceful protesters. You need to start asking why, and why these white supremacist groups are always talking about following the rules, and the rules only apply to those who oppose them. So when you're out there and you're protesting peacefully, the police are pointing their guns at you. You're unarmed. And especially if you're a counter-protester, they are pointing their guns and arresting you. You need to be asking why. And this is why I need to have do that show talking about these, you know, these these white male patriarchal centered groups and organizations that are out here. And let me go ahead and make sure I make this clear. It doesn't matter if the counter-protesters are are white or black or colored of some sort. You're a counter-protester and you're the enemy. Why? And they ignore the hate speech coming from the other people. They ignore that these other people are inciting violence. They ignore that these white supremacists are beating on you and in some cases straight up murdering folks. Any of these criminal acts being committed by these white nationalists, they ignore it. Why? Come on. And I feel that we're spending way too much time and energy trying to influence the system into being something that it's not, something that it will never be, and something it was never it never intended to be. And so this is what I was saying earlier. You know, I sit back and I look at people, and they'll call other folks armchair revolutionaries, right, and poking fun at them, you know, and, and but yet get angry with you because you have had something to say about a situation, and especially if some of these particular people don't read, and some of them brag about not reading and not necessarily understanding history. But, you know, they want to make fun and, and talk about armchair revolutionaries. But see, this is the thing. Had you taken time out to read or even listen to some of the people who came before us, you would understand that revolutions come in many different forms. And I make sure that I'm very clear on this show when I say I am not advocating for civil disobedience. What I'm talking about right now is even Martin Luther King Jr. talked about us needing a revolution in values. You have a revolution in thought. You can have many different types of revolutions that do not include taking up arms. But if you have to take up arms, it is what it is. But you would have known that if you took time out to research and read books about revolution, about revolutions and what they mean, 
and the different types of revolutions that are out there and why they are needed. You ignorant fucker. It's not always about shooting at one another. And I hate the fact that I have to break this down, but it's just funny to me because you have the same tired-ass people who won't pick up a fucking book, and if they do pick it up, they don't comprehend half the shit and then get angry with you because you get it, but they're mad because the words came out of your mouth and they understood the book after you broke it down and explained it to them in such a way that they could get it. But they're, they're not happy because you said it and you did it, but they happily take the information and still you're talking points and go out there and act like they knew what the fuck they were talking about. And if the right person is in the audience, all they have to do is ask a couple of specific questions and you will be fucking lost. So I get I get frustrated when I see people saying this shit, angry when you try to educate them on these things. And then you have the white people and even some black people, you know, that totally discount you because you're black. You know, and if you're really serious about justice for the black communities, it has to be more than just some fucking slogans, symbols, pontificating about whatever, you know, expecting your friends or so-called allies you know, to go along with it. No, honey, they're going to come after you, and they're going to come after you hard if you experience a real revolution in thought, especially if they can't control or influence you. And you become even more of a danger and threat when you are independent, free, and not concerned with how others see you. So, child... I just sit back and I'm looking and I'm watching and I need for you all to understand that they're mobilizing all over the place, even in this country here. There are reasons why these things are falling the way that they are. You know, and so basically you're going to see more white rage against what they deem as black progress, you know, um, basically, and they see it, they feel that we're stealing it from their patriarchal system. So what is that saying to you? So basically, I'm just saying, you know, you got some folks out here advancing a white supremacist agenda but don't care because they falsely believe that they're going to get something out of it. You know, and fascism does well for rich people who stand to benefit from this particular advancement, particularly white men. So anyway, that's enough. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you thinking for yourself. Thank you, guys. Go subscribe to our Reddit, Black Free Thinkers. All right, y'all, take care. Good day. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.